Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. All right, today's sermon text is from Acts 6, 1 through 7. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Acts in your Bible. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Decanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's the uh, word of the Lord for us today. And, uh, and thank you to Bill again for, for offering to pray. I realize um, that what, I'm, what I'll have surgery on tomorrow pales in comparison to, to some of the things that you all have experienced uh, in the last couple of years, so uh, it always feels I, it's uncomfortable for me. But I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys prayed for me. Uh, I'm having a redo of the surgery I had at the end of 2021, and uh, I'm not particularly looking forward to it because I, I really wasn't allowed to use this hand for like eight weeks. Um, and so it I don't know. It's just uh, it is it is. I'm thankful for doctors and insurance and things like that. Uh, and I'm thankful for you all um, that I know will bake me cookies and brownies and bring them to my house. <laughs> and that as I eat them, I will still be able to lose weight, right? Because that's how that works. Uh, I asked, I had a cookie right before, and I asked Lexi, I was like, cookies are for breakfast? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. They are definitely for breakfast. Well, I, I don't think that... Uh, the disciples and the apostles in the early church understood or, or really recognized that what they were doing was going to be a whole new thing, a, a whole new church. I don't think we look back at them and, and we look at these disciples and, and what they're doing as the early church uh, and they're trying to figure things out. I, I think, yes, they knew that they were trying to figure things out, but they, I think they thought that well, this is just a continuation of the story that we've learned from the time we were little. It is uh, it's a continuation of God's great work in the world through people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, through Moses, um, that what Jesus had accomplished was, was now Israel's greatest moment of salvation, where it had previously been uh, the exodus from Egypt. Um, I, I, it changed the world for them. And uh, we'll, we'll look at this a little later when Pentecost comes. Uh, but it totally rearranged how they lived their life. And, and on certain occasions, the book of Acts already tells us, um, we're six chapters in here, which is kind of one-off here in Acts. 
Um, in, in a couple different places, uh, the author of Acts tells us that the disciples like, lived together. Now, I don't know that they all lived in the same spot or, you know, uh, but that they shared all of the things that they had and no one that was a part of them had any need. Uh, that the, the love of Christ, uh, that they had witnessed and experienced and, and understood uh, was at work as Jesus was hanging on the cross, as he forgave, forgave even those who had killed him, that changed the nature of how we're to relate to one another. And it, it, it resulted in a generosity and a care, uh, which was really supposed to be who Israel was to begin with. Um, if we go back over the Old Testament, all over the place, uh, God is commanding Israel to, to care for widows and orphans and strangers, the, the, the vulnerable, the least of the people in the world that couldn't necessarily take care of themselves. And, and in fact, when Israel gets in trouble... When they, when they get attacked and when they uh, end up going into exile, uh, it's largely because they failed to live with this generosity, uh, this using the giftedness that God had given them uh, in this promised land and as a, as a family to, to care for those who were particularly vulnerable. Well, um, they, it, it doesn't... Uh, the early church, it might seem kind of idyllic, and it's hard to, for us to do, to live like that today. And, and that's not what necessarily I want. I don't want you to, to guilt you into feeling uh, like we must all now sell all of our things and hold all of our stuff in common and, uh, you know, have a commune or whatever. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. Um, I, I don't want don't to guilt you there. I, I do think uh, in light of the Easter season, we... we uh, maybe spend time and re-examine how this love that Christ sh- shared for us rearranges the way we live uh, in community with each other and in community with the world around us. It, it wasn't all good, though, because um, uh, right before this, we hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And uh, they sell a piece of land to help, you know, pay f- uh, help fund the the work that the early church was doing and they held some of it back and they lied and they just fell over dead, right? It's in there. I know I have trouble with this one because they they died, but they, yeah, that's another tricky bit, maybe. Uh, Maybe we look at that one. Uh, But it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine because not only they they had to work out what would happen um, in them and, and how they would live generously, but but they were, there was growing persecution, uh, from the Jewish population around them. Uh, even though even though all these apostles, all these disciples were Jews themselves, uh, the same power that was at work to, to kill Jesus was, was coming for them. Uh, it's, it's always interesting to me that uh, the church flourishes most when it's being persecuted. Uh, the church flourishes most when the world is out to get it. Um, hopefully that means that we're living with love and the things that we are champion, championing are, are projects of love and justice. Uh, that's just 
where the early church is here um, in today's passage. Well, uh, not, uh, again, I, I said this to the kids, and the church is going through growing pains. They're, they are very much trying to figure out what it means now to live in the light of Christ's love and to confess that Christ is Lord and, and to be a part of what God is doing, God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, uh, the Roman world at the time, and I've got a map. Yay. Yay for maps. Oh, it's, not, it's there. Not there. I almost looked there. Uh, this, is, this is kind of the map of uh, the known world. Now, if we, we have to go back a couple of hundred years um, to the exile. We've already made mention to that. Israel's living in, uh, in, their, in their homeland, and the, first the Assyrians come, and then the Babylonians, and we get stories like Daniel in the lion's den and, and all of those things. And uh, it's generally, though, after that, not all of them get to come back, and so they get spread all over the known world. Uh, so the big circles, the red circles there are uh, large Jewish populations. Um, the arrows are the directions that those populations kind of moved over time. And uh, if you were to kind of draw a circle around all of those areas, that would be the, the known kind of Roman Greek world. Uh, and as a result of the exile and of uh, the Romans and the Greeks first, uh, these Jews spread all over the known world. Settled communities. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that um, maybe what what was planned for ill for the nation of Israel through Babylon and and Assyria, God ends up using in a specific way uh, to further the spread of the good news, uh, because it's in these in these centers of uh, of population that that the the gospel will take hold and will grow. It's not like the church had to create this network all by themselves. Uh, God had already kind of laid the foundation and, and the roadwork for the message about Jesus Christ to spread. Well, um, if you were a, a good Jewish person uh, living in Israel, you would speak Hebrew and, and probably Aramaic, um, which is a relative of Hebrew. But if you were a Jew living somewhere else, you probably, maybe you learned Hebrew, but most likely you also had taken on the language and maybe some of the cultural customs of the place where you lived. So um, the Roman Jews are going to be a lot different than uh, the Egyptian Jews or even the ones that are uh, going up into the Black Sea there. Um, the, the culture just changes. And uh, so they, they end up getting this name, uh, Hellenists, right? And the passage refers to these Hellenist widows. Uh, and, and all that really, really means is that these were people who had grown up outside of Israel. They were Jewish ethnically and religiously, but they had a little bit of the culture. Maybe they spoke Greek. Uh, it's important to remember that Greek is the, is the language of the day. If you wanted to engage in international trade or business or even anything like that, you had to know Greek to be able to, uh, to get along. And so uh, Greek-speaking Jews all over the place. Uh, it was common, though, that these people would, um, as they got towards the end of their life, uh, they would pick themselves up and they would move to Jerusalem so that they could die in the holy city. 
uh, and, and kind of like a pilgrimage going, going home again, if you will, a, a homecoming, a return. And, and that creates a problem, right? And a lot of times older men, uh, because of the way the, the culture worked, would marry younger women. And so these women, would, their husbands would die uh, because they were older, and then they would be widows. So we have a large group of Greek-speaking women who are Jewish as well, but have, by, by means of Pentecost, begun to believe in the, the message about Jesus Christ. And widows in Israel's day, in Jesus' day, were vulnerable, as, as they had been throughout all of history, and as they continue to be in some, certain places, even here in America. Um, widows can be, can be vulnerable. Uh, so the church begins to care for these widows. Um, well, actually, they, they start caring for their own widows, and um, people complained. Now, I, I know, Bill, it's hard to imagine anybody in church complaining, right? Uh, it, it's hard uh, to, to, to imagine someone saying, but you've neglected us. And you know what? This is a problem as old as the church, uh, and it's a growing pain. Uh, the, the apostles and the disciples had to get together and, and ask themselves, okay, what are we doing? Why are, what, like, why are we doing what are we doing? Why, how are these people getting neglected? How are we going to solve this problem and take care of this very, very real problem, these widows who need maybe food uh, to live on, and maybe they still have kids they're trying to raise, and and these Christians having had their lives and their relationships realigned and reimagined. They want to help. Uh, but it's a burden, maybe. Well, um, it's as the church does. They address an issue, especially in the early church, and uh, growing pains. They look at the situation. And there's one little line in Acts uh, that's a little later, and actually we, I put it on the back of our board agenda every month. Uh, we have a list of questions that help guide our decision-making process, and on the back of that, at the very end of it, it says, as it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And so these leaders in the early church, they, they think and they pray and they come up with a really, really good solution. Well, m- maybe anyway. I think it works. Uh, the, the apostles and uh, the people who are actively going out and proclaiming in word uh, the message about Jesus Christ come and they say, well, that's not our job. I, now I realize that it's also unthinkable for someone in the church to say, well, that's not my job. Uh, it happens, right? A problem as old uh, as, as the church is. By the way, I'm not thinking of anybody particularly when I'm saying these examples. These are just... Things that happen in the church. And you guys are generous and wonderful uh, with your time and, and your resources. And I thank you for that. But there's a, there's a, a very real uh, division of labor that had to take place. Uh, the disciples said, well, well if we, we've been called to go and tell and preach and we've been gifted to do this thing and, and maybe there's other people who haven't been gifted that way and, and maybe we should gather them up and, and support them and empower them and may I, I might even say ordain them to go and to serve the Greek-speaking widows. 
So that's what they do. Uh, actually, <laughs> the, the way the passage ends up going like is that uh, the apostles and the disciples say, you all, we're going to go do our stuff. You choose godly people to engage in this mission. And so there's, there's, they, they, they didn't feel like they had to handpick those people for themselves, I don't think. I think they, they gave away their authority and power to others to say, we empower you to go and to serve, to evangelize in deed, in action, not just by our words. So they gather these men up and they lay hands on them just like Bill did for us, for me, and they prayed for them. And then they sent them out to do God's work in the world. This could have been a potential for a serious argument, right? Uh, they, because uh, already within the, the Jewish population, a lot of people thought, well, Jesus was only for us. He was our Messiah. And the, the Gentiles, well, uh, sorry, but you're out. And that'll be a conversation that continues to happen throughout the book of Acts. Uh, but here at the very beginning, the church says, no, these folks are important too. Uh, They're children made in the image of God. They're vulnerable. And part of your mission as the church is not just to tell people about Jesus' love. Your, Your job is to share in tangible ways Jesus' love. So that's what they do. Uh, I, I really like uh, this passage for a whole, whole bunch of reasons, even though it's, it's short and there are tricky names that take up a, a chunk of it. You did well, thank you. Um, one, I think it, it, it strives to seek a balance. Uh, one of the things we always are saying around here is that we are, we are called to learn how to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're, we're learning how to do both of those things together. Uh, I think the learning part for me is really, really important because I am always learning how I didn't do things as I should, how I didn't love well enough. Um, but, but I think this passage calls us to hold this, this tension. The, the tendency in the church in America, anyway, uh, the evangelical church, has been to focus on just proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ and not caring for those who are in need. Uh, I've been a part of churches that are that way. They're like, well, it only matters that we sing well and that we preach well, um, and we might give some money to some pet projects, but by and large, as people, as a community, as individuals, uh, we're not going to really care for those who are vulnerable. I've been a part of that. Uh, I've already, I've also been a part of the other side, uh, about churches who um, focus almost entirely on serving others. That's a really good thing, of caring for the vulnerable. And and maybe they're like, eh, well, we're not really going to teach about what this Jesus is because we might alienate some people or I, I don't know, whatever the reason. Uh, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you love other people. It's fine. Well, I think we see in, in Acts in the early church, we see this uh, tension uh, 
between two extremes, only loving God or only loving our neighbor. And the church decides that they are not going to do either of those exclusively, but they're going to try in the very best possible way to do both at the same time. And it means, and this is the second thing I love about this passage, uh, it means that different people who are gifted in different ways proclaim the love of God in their own gifts and abilities. Uh, that in, in our care for others, we also always proclaim uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And in, in our preaching, hopefully, we always also proclaim our love for the people around us and encourage us to, to engage in that love. By the way, this doesn't have to be anything grandiose, right? Uh, I, on more than one occasion, I've been the recipient of someone's love just through conversation. Uh, someone who's, who's helped share my, my burden in whatever way. Who's, who's helped us financially at, at different times. Things like that. When we were vulnerable. I think as church, Christ calls us to, to hold these things uh, together. The third thing, uh, b- by the way, actually, um, this is one of the things I had trouble with growing up and even into college and maybe at the beginning. Um, our preaching and our teaching and our care for others, uh, it's not uh, evangelism and service right, or evangelism like discipleship, all of that is discipleship. All of that is evangelism. All of that is in the service of the world around us. Uh, because when we worship and love God and when we, when we love others, I almost said when we worship others, I don't encourage you to do that. Uh, that we are, we are always doing the other thing too. I th- anyway, you've heard me say that a whole lot. Uh, But the third thing I think that I really like about this is that the church at the very beginning struggles with what it means to live faithfully in God's kingdom. That it it comes upon challenges and changes in population and culture, and it doesn't just say, oh, I wish things were like it was before, but that it meets head-on the challenges that are going forward. And that it, that it gathers together and it prays together and it reads scriptures together and it talks and debates and nobody says you're an idiot because you think this way. Uh, they have growing pains. And I think if we look, if we look back over uh, church history, which I love to do, uh, that the church has been experiencing growing pains for the last 2,000 plus years. That every time the gospel enters a new city in, in this map, in the world, every time the gospel enters a new place, it, uh, the people there who are there have to, have to interpret and understand what it is to live in that place and how it is to proclaim the love of God in word and in deed. Uh, the church has had these growing pains um, when they had to figure out what they could eat as clean and unclean. Peter in chapter 10, one of my all-time favorites. Um, 
they had these growing pains when they had to decide what it meant to actually belong to the faith. What was, what was, what was required for being able to be called a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, they had to struggle over and over again for like 300 years and maybe more about how they were going to talk about God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what exactly that means. And they would have these great big councils and they would, they, sometimes they would yell and fight and there was at least one place that somebody punched another pun- uh, person. So uh, it happens, right? Uh, I've been in church meetings like that. N- n- nobody actually threw a punch, but it gets kind of, kind of contentious but the important thing is as they as they as they grew and as they it's the gospel spread the church always wrestles with what it means to be christian in the time and the place it's in Uh, it did this with deciding what belongs in the bible what counts Um, it did this with deciding who's in charge of the church the church felt these growing pains as it tried to reform itself, but ultimately split into Catholic and Protestant. Um, did this with women's place in ministry. By the way, uh, spoiler, women belong in ministry just as much as men. That's what we've always done. Um, the church had to wrestle in a time and place with emerging science. We're talking like the world is not flat and the world revolves around the sun and not the other way around, right? That's uh, Copernicus, right? Something like that. Uh, the church got very angry at him because he was, well, church had to struggle with what it meant to be Christian. What, what do we do? It had to, church had to struggle with slavery and things about human sexuality. Um, Had to struggle with what it means to live in a a world that is increasingly smaller, globalization. Uh, The church has to struggle all the time with all of the cultural changes that we face. Here's what I, I believe that if the church does not go through growing pains, if the church does not face those growing pains with courage to move forward into the world, to constantly read scripture in the light of who Jesus is and the moment, that the church, not the big church, individual churches, denominations, will die. It's what happens when we fail to look and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ here and now? You all are great because I think this is a conversation that you want to have. We're already having it, by the way. We're going to have more this fall. I have hope. Uh, I have hope in, in our church. I have hope that God will guide us in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as we learn and grow and understand what it means for you and I to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves here and now. It might hurt. In fact, I think it has. 
already. But it lasts for a little bit of time. And then we grow. And then maybe we hit the next thing. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, we will echo the words of the apostles as we envision new ways to to tell people about Jesus and, and new ways to live in our community and new ways to do church and all of those things that we will be able to say, ah, as it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. All of this, okay, um, all of this only makes sense uh, if we understand the story of God's work in the world. It only understands if we take a long view of what God has been doing from Adam and Eve to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Moses to David to Jesus to Paul to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and one of the ways, one of the ways that we embody this story is by receiving this meal. Because the meal is always about the story of God's faithfulness and love to the world. It's always about coming into a place, as Jesus did. Living in that place. Growing in it. Loving it. Sacrificing for it. And my hope is uh, as we receive this meal, uh, we will be nourished. Nourished and strengthened to face whatever growing pains lay ahead of us for the sake of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.